Good morning, St. Andrews. <laughs> I'm so glad to be together on this last day of 2023. One, two, three, one, two, three. It's a good, it's a good day. <laughs> and believe it or not, it was only last week that it was Christmas Eve. <laughs> it seems like we wait all month for something that just flies by so quickly, right? But even though our modern celebrations of Christmas only kind of last through the 25th, Christmas is a 12-day holiday. So we're right in the middle. <laughs> it's still Christmas. <laughs> and today we'll be finishing out um, our Christmas season series, focusing on how God is our rescue. Now, I don't know about you, but this week in particular, this day in particular, usually brings me to do a good amount of self-reflection. <laughs> and it's often filled with both hope and excitement, but also sorrow and disappointment. It's a time when we look back and take stock of what happened. The celebrations, the births, the milestones, things we made it out of on the, to the other side. Ways we saw God's hand moving, the triumphs, the wins. But shared with that are the losses, the griefs, the unanswered questions, the prayers that were met with silence, the people we wish we could say Happy New Year's to, but we're going to have to wait until heaven. And as we look back, it's also a time that we look forward and dare to dream a little louder. This year, I really want to write that book, take that vacation, spend more time in scripture. Whatever it is, we decide what we would like to do differently and make a plan to accomplish our goal or build a habit. And I think that's pretty healthy. Whether it's this time of year or any other time, it's good to know ourselves enough to know what we really want so instead of being subconsciously motivated by all those things, we're intentional with the gift of life and time that God has given to us. By show of hands, who here has ever made a New Year's resolution? Okay, great. By show of hands, who here has ever broken a <laughs> New Year's resolution? Yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, because besides our, despite our best intentions, true transformation is really hard because it's costly. Most of the resolutions I made have been your typical, like, eat healthier, get sleep, exercise. But one year, my roommates and I decided to go in on a resolution together. We decided we were going to watch every Tom Hanks movie that he's ever created. And um, has anybody here seen Monsters and Mazes? Oh, you have? Well, if you haven't, let me tell you, you do not need to. <laughs> it was the second movie he ever did, and his acting was, was good, but the movie, it was just, it was laughable. But that was not the point. The point was we spent that time together, we laughed together, we cried together. If you've seen Turner and Hooch, you know what I'm talking about. And um, that was the goal, to spend the time together. 
And that's typically how we enter the new year. We look back, we grieve, we celebrate, we decide what we want to do differently. We make a resolution, we move forward. But as the people of God, I wonder, should the way we step into the new year look any different than our neighbors? The ones who don't know the living God, the creator of everything who has come to be with us, who reigns in heaven and yet has made himself closer than our very breath. I think, yeah, it should probably look a little different, right? Which brings us to our sermon title today. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. You see, I think that many of our resolutions are either consciously or subconsciously motivated by our desire to escape some sort of death or on the flip side, gain more life and freedom. Whether or not we have that fully formed thought, we're reminded that the clock is ticking, that one more year of our time on this earth has passed, so we better figure out what we wanna do with the next year of our life and make whatever adjustments are necessary. And it's not just our final death, but the little deaths along the way. I don't wanna lose my health, so I start exercising and eating well. I don't want to lose this community, so I commit to gather with friends on a regular basis. I don't want to lose time with my family, so while my children are home, we'll eat dinners together, or I'll take them on an outing, just the two of us. There is so much wisdom in looking at the consequences of where others have put their time and then deciding what we want to do with ours. But I think in all these things, what we're really saying is, I know you're coming for me, death. And because you're coming, this is how I will shape my life based on your power over me. The thing is, as Christians, we know death is not the end. Let me just speak that truth over any of us who have lost this year or in the previous years. Death is not the end, but boy, does that lie cling to us like shackles time and time again. So what is our end? Well, that answer has been given to us. So let's look at it and turn together to Revelation chapter 21. And while you're turning there, I want us to see how this passage has two major points. One, that God will be with us. And two, that death will be no more. The tears that death in all its many forms have stolen from us will have been wiped away. It's done, it's finished. It has no more power over us. Let's read, starting in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, 
They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now we're going to read verse 6. And I want you to imagine that this is being spoken to you. Wherever you are in your life right now, these words are for you. Then he said to me, to me, to you, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So what is our end, church? Sunday school answer? Jesus, right? Our end is Jesus. All those things we're pursuing, at the end of it is Jesus. We want health. He is the healer. We want love. He is love. We want connection and joy and peace. He is the source of all these things. And our attempts at separating him from them or having them without him is like trying to drink from a river that has no source, dry and empty. He is our beginning and end, the one who sustains our lives at every moment, even now. Jesus is sustaining our lives. There is no goodness apart from him. As we see from Revelation 21, the dwelling of God with us and the death of death are intricately tied together. And that's been true from the very start. We'll be coming back to Revelation. So if you want to hold your spot, you can keep a bookmark there. But for now, let's turn all the way back to the beginning at Genesis 3. So quick refresher. We all know the story. (laughs) Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And death enters the world, right? Well, that's not really what's said. Let's start in verse 22 of chapter 3. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. We can see that it's not really death that enters the world when we sin, as if death is a thing. It's more accurate to say that what happened was we were cut off from the tree of life. Death didn't suddenly form. Death is just the absence of life. We sinned and were cut off from the access to eternal life. But God didn't leave us without any hope. Even though 
we would often much rather pursue anything else in our own sense of what is good and what is bad. Jesus came to dwell with us. And that's what we celebrate this season. The one who is eternal life, who was placed in a feeding trough from his very first moments with us, offering his life, saying, I am the one who will satisfy your hunger. I am the tree of life. And I think our Genesis passage is exactly what he has in mind when in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is basically saying, you have access to the tree of life because I am it. And from that place of abiding, dwelling with Jesus, fruit will come. The goal for us as Christians isn't to try and defeat death in the big or the little ways, but to be with, get back to, become one with the source of life. And I know that sounds like it's the same thing, but there's a subtlety there that I think makes a big difference. Imagine with me that you're a kid and you're playing tag. And the one that's doing the tagging is the block bully. And all the other kids are running around being pushed down, but there's a safe zone. And that safe zone is mom. Have any of you been there? Mom is the safe zone. <laughs> If you're touching mom, you can't be caught, which seems pretty simple enough until you realize mom's on the move. Mom has got things to do. There's a yard work that needs to get done. There's dinner that needs to be made, laundry dishes, gifts that need to be delivered to neighbors. The safe zone keeps moving. And what I could do is run around trying to evade the other kid who's bigger and stronger than me until I'm tired out, and they inevitably push me down. Or, since I'm a smart kid, I could say to my mom, hey mom, can I drag you around with me while I run myself tired and try and escape this big kid? And you know what mom's gonna say to that? Well honey, <laughs> how about instead of me following you around while you become so worn out that you eventually just topple over from exhaustion, why don't you come follow me? And we can do all the good work I planned for today together can plant the seeds, we can make the meal, you can hand the gift I prepared to the neighbor. The metaphor breaks down, of course, because God is always with us, even when we're not really with him. And eventually, we do get tagged, even if we're touching mom. But when that happens, and we're with mom, what comes next is we get swept up into mom's arms and taken home. You see, what happens when we decide to make Jesus our aim, the one who, the one we're partnered with, is we become branches of the tree of life that will bear fruit, that can feed a starving world, tired and weary from running around trying to avoid death, but not knowing how to find true life. In Revelation 22, the tree of life shows up again. So let's start at verse 1 and going through verse 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne 
of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The tree has grown. And I think it's because it decided I'm going to be right in the middle of the river of life. Whatever is pouring from the throne of God, I'm going to make sure I don't miss it. And it produces new fruit every season. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Which one of us wouldn't like to be able to be poured into by life so much that we produce life in every season? Something new every season. To be constantly partnering with God in producing and creating things that offer life to those around us. To never run dry. For our lives to be healing to the nations of the world. Personally, I think that rhythm sounds almost too wonderful to be true. But that is our end when we've decided to seek God's life as our own. You know, we started this sermon series with the story of the exodus of the people of God from slavery and oppression because it's such a defining moment in showing who God is as our rescuer. But I think it also teaches us about the rhythms our lives can take when we let God take care of death and we seek God. And amazingly, it's a story of a New Year's celebration. So how did God lead them into a new year, a new life transformed from bondage to freedom? Exodus 12, starting at verse 2, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. We know this as the Passover, when the blood of the lamb covered the doorposts to save them from death. And I can't help thinking about what it would have been like that night. They participated in this great feast when all they could do was wait and receive the life of the lamb provided to them by God. They had to be ready to move when God said it was time to leave, but they couldn't step out before God, couldn't rush ahead of him. They had to wait for his word to go. Israel in its birth story starts with the slaughter of the lamb and the covering of the blood on the door. And the blood cried out on their behalf that death was already satisfied. All they could do was wait, rest, and be ready to move when God said, it's time to move. The lamb paid their death, and they had to listen to the word of God to receive the life he offered. If I'm honest, even though I know intellectually that letting God's word and life lead me, would lead me into the rhythms and rest of God, into being more productive with my time and energy, so that when God says I go and when God says stay, I stay. But when I start to think about making Christ my goal, there are some objections that come up. What about all the things that need to get done? <laughs> 
I know I should seek God first, but some days it just didn't seem all that practical. Some days the time flies by, and I realize by the time my head is hitting the pillow that I haven't sought God. I did my whole day without him. Maybe I said a, a brief good morning, read a little bit of scripture, but then I just completely put him out of my mind. And I know that I don't work and then try to love from what's left over. The work of our lives is love. And the love of God is the most energizing resource we could ever have access to. The river that never runs dry. And I want to be in the middle of that river. I have a graphic, if the tech team is ready to show it. There are actually three slides. And I don't know if you can read this, but this is a woman and her battery is drained. <laughs> There's all the things she has to do. I have to pay bills, go to work, do homework, serve in church, go grocery shopping, lead my small group, lead worship, date my spouse, take care of my kids, fix the car, catch up on my Bible plan, build my savings, go to the gym, clean the house, try harder. Does that sting a little bit for you? <laughs> because it stung a little bit for me when I saw it. But then we have the next slide. I have to seek first the kingdom of God. And the next one. And trust all will be added. I think... At first, the light of Christ is exposing, and then it's healing. We feel the weight of all these things, but God said, this is what you are to seek, and you're to trust me with all the rest. Seeking God first, seeking the kingdom of God first, where Jesus has full reign over our lives is hard work. Surrender is hard work. So when Jesus says, it's time to rest, don't let the lie creep in that you're being lazy. You're being obedient. Jesus worked really hard to the point where he was in the middle of a deadly storm and was only woken up by his friends screaming at him. He also snuck away to quiet places with God and people got mad at him for that too. Where have you been, Jesus? We have work to do. But Jesus said, I do whatever I see my father doing. I say whatever I see my father saying. That's it. No more, no less. Whoa, Jesus. So what you mean is if I seek you, what I'm going to end up doing is show, showing who God is with my mind, my soul, my body, and my strength. I think if we seek God this year, we might not accomplish what we wanted to. I think that's the risk we take. But I do think that if we seek God this year, there's no way we can miss accomplishing what God wanted us to do. And there's so much peace in knowing that. What I'm not saying is that you should give up your goals, your dreams, or your hopes for this year. What I am saying is when we surrender our whole selves to God 
and let him be the king of our lives and our hearts, that is when true transformation happens. So right now, I would love if we all just take a moment to bring our plans before God and truly surrender them to him. God, if these are the things you also want me to accomplish through my life, please fuel me and empower me by your spirit. And if they're not for me, please let them fall away and truly say, your will be done. And then I would love for us to ask God about what God wants for us this year. God has good gifts for us. We know that because God had the best gift for us, the most sacrifice he can make in giving us his son. God, what are the plans you have for me? What would you like for me to do with the life you've given me? Give me dreams for what you would have me do and the courage to stay with you in them. Is there a word or a verse that will be a guiding direction and source of life for me this year? And before the clock strikes midnight, I want you to write it down. Don't put it off because you won't remember. <laughs> I know this because that's true of me. <laughs> when you've surrendered, Write that down. Write down if there's a response. If not, you get to go back this time next year, and you get to see how God responded over the year. And we get to show others the fruit, the healing that God has done in us and through us. I think when we truly bring ourselves to God, we move from a place of performance to partnering. We can move from a place of making resolutions that may fail to being held by a relationship that never will. What if all the places we're working for approval, maybe from others, but I think more likely from ourselves, we simply let Christ meet us there? What if we brought them as an offering before the Lord? The places we're bitter, the places we're sad, the places we feel like are covered in death. What if instead of approaching the places we hate with rejection and an attempt to fix, we let Christ dwell there? We let Christ heal there. So church, can we commit together that this isn't going to be the year of our best performance? where we accomplish all our resolutions, where we try to be and do the things that make us feel approved of. We try to be us 2.0, gold star year. When I look back on my life, I had it all together that year. I defeated all the little deaths. Can we instead commit to this being a partnering year, a relationship year, where we can look back on our lives and say, that was the year I partnered with God. I participated in the movements and rhythms, the work and rest and play of God. Where we can say, it's as if God and I had one of each of our legs tied together 
And when God ran, I ran. And in the long days of waiting, when it seemed we were, we were going nowhere at a snail's pace, and God wasn't moving as fast as I wanted him to, we did that together too. Where I let God say, this is what needs to fall away, and this is what I want you to focus on. Where I let God say, what spaces need to be empty, and which ones need to be filled. Where I let God rescue me from death as I pursue his life. Because the thing is, in Christ, you've already been given the gold star. You're already accepted into the family. In Christ God's, I'm well pleased in you. That he says to Jesus is already yours. We're so often distracted when only one thing is necessary. We're so often hurried and hassled and anxious when the one who is our beginning and ending, our very life source, is in our midst. And we could be living our life with him, not just dragging him along with all our plans, but us participating and partnering with his. It won't just cost our time and energy it will cost us our very selves, our whole lives. But transformation is costly. It will feel like death, like dying to ourselves, and yet we won't be alone. And Christ will see us through to eternal life that is inseparable to his life because he is the source. So church, St. Andrews, let us begin this year with the end in mind. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the life that you offer us, for the abundant life that you bring us. God, for all the places that our hearts are hard and stubborn, for all the places we don't even know about, would you help us to surrender those to you? Would you help us to partner with you? Would you keep our eyes fixed on you, fixed on the goal of Christ, and show us the true joy that lies there in your life? God, we give this day to you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.